Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, goofballs and scumbags. Whether you're over there somewhere losing in Germany 12-0. Whether you was in Manchester losing 5-0. Y'all know what time it is, we back at it again. Whether your hair looks like uh, Mikhail Essien's or Bronislav Ivanovich, not much there. Y'all know what time it is, we back at it again. Uh, one year down and many more to go. This is the Football Misfits, episode 56. I am your host, LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty. It is uh, almost September, so I can lose the El Pistoleto, but that's neither here nor there. And of course, I'm joined by none other than, if you don't know by this point, fam, catch up, uh, the one, the only, Mr. Misfits himself, the man who makes it happen, the legendary, Ronnie, Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. What's going on, everybody? And I would like to begin with a quote from a philosopher. Uh-oh. Do not want to not be on my free. Oof. Stay strong, be brave. If you don't know who that is, do your, do your Googles. Do your Googles. And uh, I ain't listening to that shit. No, neither here, neither And of course, this wouldn't be the football misfits without Mr. Datadesk himself, Spencer Povich, AKA the Spencyclopedia Britannica. If you're lying, he's gonna catch you. Cause you know why? He's got search engines. Y'all know him as Spencer. And for the most part, so do we. Spencer, say what's up for the one time. Peace and love, peace and love. Let's talk about this week. <laughs> Specifically Thursday, cause Thursday is when all the shit went down. See. While we were talking about, oh, Champions League draw, best player of the year in Europe. This guy, Cristiano Ronaldo, has had enough with Juventus, making hmm. me look like, like a dumbass when I said he would stay in Juventus on September 1st. Hmm. Um, we all know by now the outcome. But at this time on Thursday, we all were under the impression that Mads would be going to Manchester City, annoying all the Manchester United fans. <laughs> H-Man did his one periodic check on us, like, yo, what is going on here, fam? Come Friday morning, the deal falls through, and Manchester United saw that, rubbed their hands, and said, okay, we are going for the kill. They end up signing Cristiano Ronaldo from Juventus on a two-year deal. Ronaldo will be playing his first game on the 11th of September against Newcastle. So, the way this broke, this came about wild, didn't it? I think wild is and sort of an understatement in that, I mean, who would have saw this happening at the beginning of the summer? If you were to say Messi's leaving Barcelona and Ronaldo's leaving Juventus, I mean, you might have you might have thought, Ronaldo leaving Juventus might have been more likely, but even then still, and even after his Instagram post, which we spoke about last week, Ronnie, you know, I thought we analyzed it pretty well. It seemed like he was talking that boss talk, but um, I think I'll focus- Apparently not. Yep, sticking on that, I mean, hindsight is 2020, of course, but rereading it and looking back at it and thinking about it and having conversations with people, I mean, in reality, he kind of only said that He's just not going back to Real Madrid, basically. That's really all he said. 
I mean, he didn't once mention Juve. He didn't say he was going to stay at Juve. He didn't say he was staying anywhere or going anywhere. But um, clearly it was a bunch of fluff and BS. That five-paragraph essay was filled with lettuce. No burger meat. But the vegan, on, if you will. <laughs> a Beyond Burger. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the boy's back at Manchester United, and it, it seems, I guess, I mean, I, I just can't believe it, really. The idea of him going to Man City, which I think at some point, and I'm speaking for me, it seemed was absolutely inevitable, and they seem to have the money for it, although the, the numbers around this deal, I think, hover around the 30 million euro mark. Nothing crazy. Um, obviously, you assume he, he's going to get some super high wages, but it seemed as if that City was going to bag him because Harry Kane announced that he'd be staying at Spurs. And from there, I'm thinking City have allegedly offered some high bids towards Spurs, or there's been numbers thrown around in the hundreds and twenties millions of pounds, things of that nature. So I'm thinking that they're going to go for a striker because they seem to need one. That changed very quickly. I mean, I don't think it was 24 hours. It may be 24 hours tops um, where we thought he was going to City and then it transformed. And then all of a sudden, Man United rushed to their Instagrams and threw up them photos with the quickness, Photoshop and everything. So absolutely ridiculous. Uh, can't believe it. Millions of questions uh, raised here. I mean, well, one is how long do, does he stay? Who played a part in it? You have to assume Alex Ferguson made that call, huh? What I'm seeing is that the idea of Ronaldo going to City was all a bluff. Only for Manchester United to be like, all right, he's never going to go to City. Mm. Only for that. It was a bluff for Man United to come in, make the moves. Sir Alex probably, you know, didn't give him a call like, yo, the fuck is this Man City show? <laughs> Alex Ferguson said, nah, 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 nah. We're not doing that. Stop, stop, stop. And then I'm seeing posts from like Rio Ferdinand, Patrice Evra. Again, the football feds. Of course, like, of course, Patrice Evra, of course. Like, okay, he's going to Manchester United. I guess where he belongs. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think just going off what you said there, it some things just didn't sit right with me, uh, you know, with the alleged move to Man City. Um, I think the, one of them was the Pep Guardiola thing. It was, you know, him being manager of Pep Guardiola. And I'm not, you know, these, these are all assumptions and just, you know, things that I'm throwing out there. Obviously, they don't pay me the big bucks. But, you know, um, he seems to me more in, in line with the Zlatan Ibrahimovic type of player. I just feel like, I don't know, maybe there might have been some budding heads there between him and Pep. And then also, you know, uh, it, it was the question of, like, where was he going to play the out-and-out -out striker role sitting up top? Obviously, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not coming off the bench for anybody, even though Man City's team is absolutely stacked. Um, so it was just a bunch of those questions. Who, who gets the cut, you know, for Ronaldo coming in? Who loses game time? We know Pep does make adjustments game by game, and many players do see game time, and it all depends on how they're playing, but this is not no regular player. So all of those things came to my head, and, and, and I mean, the, I've seen, as you mentioned, these conspiracy theories of alleged bluffs, and that was never going to happen, and this, that, and the third. I mean, the way Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was speaking in his pre press conferences before this was announced that he was going to City or United, I've never seen him sound that confident in his entire managerial career. <laughs> He's he like, wasn't even that confident in the Europa League final. Come no on. No way, no how. We saw that because he, he didn't start uh, the goalkeeper. He should have started. <laughs> he started David But absolute confidence in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the way he's speaking. So he must have known something that we didn't know. Um, talking about him. If he is, to, if he does leave, he knows where he knows 
you know, who we are. He knows this, that, and the third. And I'm looking at him like, is this Alex Ferguson or Holy God? I'm confused. But um, I mean, all that being said, questions for City aside, because that's, I mean, it's just, it was, it was what it was, just uh, theories and conspiracy. The reality is that he's at United. Now the questions begin for them, uh, you know, as a team. Um, and my one main question is, is Ole Gunnar, I mean, the man to coach Ronaldo? It, like, I was like, just having this conversation with my good friend, Carl. Shouts to Carl. I don't know. I, I, I don't trust Ole. I never have. I don't think I ever will, even though they got Cristiano. I think ultimately, you know, United or another team, as much as it, it's weird to say, who seem to have made mostly the right moves this summer, you can, I guess you can call it on an upward trajectory. Uh, it's tough in the Premier League because Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City are, you know, also on an upward trajectory and they're as good as they are. But um, yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm sort of wondering, uh, Shoskar, how does he manage that? Like, tactic-wise, you know, is it like Ronaldo goes into a system or does he just kind of, hey guys, if Ronaldo's open, give him the ball, let him do what he does. I mean, he's a good, he's a player that, that's that good. Um, and I mean, what does he do? And, and, and also to shoot him some bail, does he really need to do anything in that regard? Uh, this is a player who, who has done it all. He's 30, uh, you know, just uh, around 36 years of age. He knows exactly what he's doing. And, and, and scoring goals is not, you know, one of his weak suits. You know, even if he's had a, not the, uh, I mean, honestly, he had a really good season at Juventus, but, you know, for his standards, I guess you could call it what it was, still scored 20 plus goals uh, in Serie A. So, um, I mean, does does Shoskar really have an issue? Is this maybe a Zinedine Zidane situation? Like, hey, let you guys do what you guys do. Um, this so, team, well, instant and just like that became Ronaldo's team. Absolutely. I mean, there was no question about it. Who was if gonna, he went to, even if he went to City, it was going to be his team no matter what. United, who seem to have plugged in the holes that they've had issues in, um, and then they go ahead and add Jaden Sancho. Rafa Varane, and Rafa Varane is no slouch in terms of, you know, he's won everything and has done everything, and then they add, you know, <laughs> the best, you know, if not, you know, the second or, you know, best player in the world. I mean, does this make United t title challengers, or does it not? Because I, I feel like we're, something is off about this. Yeah, no, no question. Manchester United are now a title contender. I would go as far as to say that they have to win a trophy, be it the Prem, be it the Champions League, be it the FA Cup. They have to win a trophy with Ronaldo. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, 100% agree. Um, and if they don't, Ole Gunnar got to bounce. And that's the thing, you know, uh, with, with these wild uh, moves. I'm not sure who's under more pressure between him and Mauricio Pochettino, but... They've got teams. I mean, Pochettino. The difference with PSG and Pochettino, they're aiming for Champions League. Anything short of Champions League is a bust, even if they win Legon and the French Cup. Right. And I think they might have to win every cup that they play in. Otherwise, it's a bust because they've got not one, not two, but three of like the top five, six, seven best players in the world. And if you want to throw in the goalkeeper as well, you know what I mean? So, um, but for United, yeah, Shosgar, who is, I, I, in my opinion, I mean, you know, Ronnie and, and people listening can go back to, all the way to episode two. I've been putting Shoshka on the hot seat, and he's been kind of beating that, but hasn't won anything yet. Um, so when you get a piece like that, it's a gift and a curse because if you don't win with it, that's going to ask some questions. And I think Man United fans will begin to get, you know, maybe, you know, turn on him some more because 
they they've got they've got the legend of all legends of the club and if success doesn't follow that you know united fans have been hungry for success haven't won a title in coming on 10 11 years now um or is it the better part of seven years um long ass time a long ass time exactly and so i mean they're hungry for success and they brought back the guy who was Mr. Success for them. And, and if this doesn't happen, I'm not sure if Ronaldo will be getting some blame, but I'm sure Shoscar will. The so, Europa League Day one was the last trophy I remember them winning. Yep, through oh, Jose, Jose Mourinho, 2016 or 17. So a long time ago, the most successful club in Premier League history. So a lot, a lot of pressure on Shoscar's head. And I think also, I mean, and this is, a, I guess, something we can, we can go on and on about, but... Um, in a way, I think him going to United also helps because Shoshkar has less experience as a manager. He's less quali qualified, you know, less qualified than Pep Guardiola, has less reign than Pep Guardiola. It may give Ronaldo some more of the freedom. To, he can just be like, Shoshkar can probably be like, hey, listen, you know what you're here for. Do what you got to do. Whereas I think Pep would probably maybe, obviously, based on the things he does, make him make the system work better or work something around him. But um, he seems to be getting more free reign uh, um, at United. I would assume. There is an, a sort of advantage, if you want to call it that, of Ronaldo having played with Ole Gunnar. There's that one little caveat. Right. And, I mean, they both share a history of success at this specific club. So, I mean, in terms of positives, it'll do wonders for the younger guys that are there who, I mean, I mean, this goes without saying that Ronaldo generationally, uh, specifically our generation of people growing up watching soccer, I think has had maybe arguably the most influence on outside of Messi. Um, in terms of just the attraction to the sport, the way he did things, you know, his success levels. I probably know as many Cristiano Ronaldo fans as I know anybody else, you know, um, maybe combined. Biggest guy ever. And so I can, I can imagine these kids who are playing on, these, on this team, Marcus Rashford, you know, uh, um, Mason Greenwood, all these youngsters. Who we are were idolizing him. Absolutely. And so now they're, they share a locker room with him. So I think that it, it, and again, it, I guess it's a gift and a curse. They can learn a lot from somebody like that. You know, the work ethic he probably brings to the training sessions, how he takes care of his body, you know, and just the IQ he has and the experience he has in the game or in winning situations. We know Ronaldo is one of the cold, coldest blooded guys in the sport. You know, he wins when it matters and things mm -hmm. of that nature. So a lot of benefits that these younger players can get from him. And so, I mean, I'm looking at it from the positive standpoint, but I mean, on a negative standpoint, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure comes with it. A I lot of pressure. A guy like Ronaldo probably demands a lot. And so will, are, is this team willing to step up and meet him there? Or, or at least, you know, I guess meet him to a satisfactory level in which he'll feel like, all right, this is a project that I'm, that's worth staying in. But um, nonetheless, a couple of things are certain, I think, one for sure is that he's bagging goals. Do you think he scores more than 20 this season at the Premier League? <laughs> he scored more than 20 goals in the Premier League. <laughs> I mean, what did he have last season in Syria? He had uh, 26 goals, 27? He finished top scorer, yes. And, and in my opinion, I don't know. I mean, I watched most of Syria games, most of a lot of Juventus games. It didn't seem like he had the most, you know, Ronaldo season in terms of success, but that's just based on comparing it to his success levels, comparing it to who he is. Yeah, Ronaldo had 29 goals with Juve last season in Serie A. It didn't feel like he had the best season, but yeah, do you think he scores more than 20? Score 29 yes. in Yes, 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 yes. He scores more than 20. More than 30? Maybe not. Okay, but definitely more than 20. More than 25? Just want to see I where we think. 25 as my cap. Okay, fair enough. 28. I mean, 
Okay, Spencer's going 28. I like that. I'm not going well, to lie. How many scored? Now, that, I mean, well, that's another Ronaldo question. Ronaldo scored how many goals last year? 29. Yeah, 29. Like, in Serie A, yeah. scored how many? Like 28. I've got two less or one less in, this, in Serie A. Now the Premier League top scorers table, we have the likes of Harry Kane, we have the likes of Lukaku, and we have the likes of Ronaldo. <laughs> Three guys all last season who scored 20 plus with, with Lukaku finishing with 24 goals in, in City. Uh, damn, Ronaldo kind of ran away with it. They were neck and neck for a minute. <laughs> what happened? They were. What happened? That's crazy. I mean, so he's capable, obviously, of scoring almost 30 anywhere. And if it's in, depending on which league, he might score 50 or just depending on how he's feeling. So uh, Manchester United do have a bunch of goals coming uh, their way. Fortunately, I mean a team. To, a team. To, honestly, they're competing for the title now. If all things work out well, in regards to uh, in regards to Rafa Varane, but um, looking at the other side of this, the team who lost him, what does this mean for Juventus? So is that what you going to do? <laughs> hey, listen, um, did they play this weekend? You got to do something about it. You feel me? I mean, they played this weekend. They lost to Empoli. Oof. What does this do for um, Juventus? Well, first of all, I will say that Massimiliano Allegri, he handled this with the most professionalism. And if I may pause the pod one time, pause the pod, pause the pod. Great, great coach. Yep, go ahead. Quick BS of the week, Pavel Nedved. Oh, no. <laughs> firm saying, oh, he can unequivocally confirm that he will absolutely stay. Round about five, six days later, he was out. I told you he was going out. Once, listen, once we listen, started saying he's staying, this. staying. Listen, this. listen. But there's, a difference between, there's a difference between a casual and me. I'm a Juventus fan. So I, I'm, you know, might have been delusional, but I even said I might have been delusional. But still, it's me. Well, Spence, I will give you, listen, I'm going to give you full credit because I am casual. I'm, I'm, over here. I'm a Premier League fan. <laughs> and I said he was staying. So. Hey, I do give you credit for that, though. And we'll yeah, go man, on. You, yes. on you, you know your man better than we do, clearly. <laughs> Once he put out that statement that said nothing about nothing, I was like, oh, he's out of here. Yeah. <laughs> he's gone. But now, Ronnie, if I'm not... Back to your question, though, about what does this mean for Juventus. Um, Honestly speaking, if Juventus do want to bring somebody new in, the clock is ticking because the transfer window is over on Tuesday. But I feel like Juventus would be okay. They will still make a top four. They might could still even win Serie A despite Inter running away with the first two games. I'm kind of confident about Juve's chances to win Serie A or at least make top four without Ronaldo. But without Ronaldo, there it does change a lot. Yeah, I think uh, this season, based on how Serie A is and what's happened over the summer, Inter Milan clearly broke five broke. We ain't got it. Um, selling Lukaku, almost selling Lotaro Martinez, selling Hakimi. Um, Atalanta selling, you know, players not only this past summer, but in the January transfer window. I mean, they still play incredible football. Um, Gasparini, their coach, clearly he knows what he's doing. I um, mean, he's shown that over the past couple of years. But it looks like um, despite Ronaldo not being there, Juventus still have a good chance because everybody around them kind of got worse. Now, does this open the door for Jose Mourinho to run, run in and just take Studi out back at Roma? Nah. Conspiracy. Who knows? We shall see, but this does make things interesting. While that's going on, the other big name discussed a part of this transfer window on Thursday, which, you know, Thursday, again, it was a wild day in footy. Um, apparently, Kylian Mbappe doesn't want to be at PSG anymore. They said that the, clo the deal with 
PSG and Real Madrid to send Mbappe over to Los Blancos was imminent. Where we just saw PSG play Rim and they won goals from Mbappe. September 1st, again, it's Tuesday. Does Mbappe stay at Paris? I think um I think it's a little bit different because Mbappe, I think, has made it known that he wants to leave specifically um uh, I'm not sure if this is explicit. He said that uh, in Real Madrid, but he made it known that he wanted to to leave and his contract is up next season. But he also has said, allegedly, I'm not sure if I've, if I've seen him say it out, out now, but just through reports that he's happy to stay this season as well and leave on the free next season. But PSG, they've also said that if they reach, if Madrid reaches the number that they want, which I'm hearing is around the 210, uh, 210 million euro mark, which is ridiculous. For a player who's in his last season, it's killing about it. Um, that they are willing to let him go or cut ties with him. So uh, Madrid apparently pulling out the stops, 180s or so million they offered their increased bid. Still not enough. Yeah, they're pulling up all the money that they allegedly don't have. Yeah, Fiorentino Perez saying, if we don't do the Super League, we will die. And now he's like, man, saying let's cash out on David Alaba, giving a huge contract. Um, but let's fork up 180 or so million and try to get Kylian Mbappe. Um, now, if they want, if they, if he wants to go, if they want to grab him, they're gonna have to fork up a little bit more than that. So, um, I think he stays this season, personally. Ronnie, what do you think? You think he stays? It would make sense for him to stay this season. If you, if I'm looking at this from everyone's POV, right, it would make sense for him to stay this season because if PSG do sell him, that's money that they also owe Monaco. They don't want to owe Monaco. Right, like thirty or so million. Which is probably like why that. they want the huge, which is probably why they want even even an even bigger transfer fee for him, so they can still pocket a bunch of bread. But yeah, right. Monaco is gonna get rich off the back if he does go yeah. before Tuesday. I, I but, think the number is thirty million. They have to pay Monaco thirty million no matter what happens. They sell him the same. Right. Um, Real Madrid, if they want to continue their poverty case, <laughs> they can say they can hold off on Mbappe till next year, and then bring him in on a free. Right. And not have to spend all that money. Well, that's the thing. You know, you said sense. I feel like nothing about this makes any sense. This is a not at all. He, what a, I see is a losing case in court. Absolutely. Judge Joe Brown is tossing this shit. <laughs> shit. Um, you know, Madrid is forking up all that money that they allegedly don't have. It just sounds like it wouldn't be the best idea for a player who said he wants to go there anyways um, in 12 months on the free. PSG turning down all that money for a player who next season is going to leave on the free. And Mbappe, I mean, he could go to Madrid and play with Eden Hazard and, or whatever it used to be Eden Hazard and Karim Benzema or with Messi and Neymar. doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, we'd, I don't know where this will go. I think he stays. Uh, I don't think Madrid pull out the 220, 210 million euro. And if they do, yo, where's the Spanish IRS? Somebody call them. Because <laughs> where y'all getting this money from, fam? I need to know. And That's so, what I'm saying. Yeah, so a lot of questions that need to be answered, I think will be answered in the next couple of days. It, since we were talking about conspiracy theories in regards to Ronaldo and the Man United thing being a bluff, um, I heard from reporters, uh, the good reporters over at the uh, Football Daily on BBC. Um, if it's not the Football Misfits, hey, check them out. Um, that, you know, alleged rumors were that Madrid were sort of bluffing with these high uh, bids 
sort of kind of trying to show Mbappe how much he needs <laughs> and that, you know, that they're willing to, that this is what they're willing to do to bank their future on them. And that they secretly hope that PSG don't accept. And obviously PSG won't accept because they want to keep him. Now, I would accept this to make Real Madrid look dumb. Exactly. And so there, there are these reports that that's something that's happening. You know, that this is all a bluff by Madrid. At 230 mil on Mbappe, when you say you ain't have money for him, I would yeah. make them look like idiots, but we'll right. see. And so maybe PSG are privy to some information that we're not because they have been saying the price is the price. What if Fat Joe said yesterday's price is not today's price? Uh, <laughs> so they, they're saying they're standing firm. The price is the price. 160 million euro? Nah. 180 million euro? Nah, I'm good. And, you know, things that, you know, for a player that's leaving in 12 months, anybody would snap up at, except maybe Daniel Levy, because he's crazy. So maybe they know that Madrid are bluffing. And they're like, yo, if you guys are bluffing, push the price up a little bit. And we could, you know, we could get to talking. So that's an alleged uh, theory I've, I've seen floating around the internet. Neither here nor there, uh, at, the, at this current moment, Mbappe stays a PSG player. He's got a couple of days to figure his future out. But... Uh, yes, sir. Um... Before we wrap up with Mbappe, Spence, thoughts on this? So to be honest, I think he might be gone by the by the time the window closes. Only because, like like at the same point LV made that Real Madrid might be bluffing, but if you're PSG, can you really... I mean, they have unlimited money, it seems. So I guess you can hold on to a player who walks away for free in the summer, but do you really want to lose a player who could possibly walk away for free? And then on the other hand, if Madrid don't get him, say... He plays with Messi and Neymar, has the greatest season of his career, and is like, you know what, I like playing with these three. And then he signs. Now the player that you thought was going to come for free in the summer has a revelation. He's like, I, I can stay, even if it's a year or two, stay and play with these players. Right. So it's yeah. kind of those things where you got to get the man when you can, because if you wait, he might change his mind. Yeah, a lot. I mean, well said. A lot can change in 12 months, especially if they have a great season. He's like, this Messi guy really knows how to pass me the ball. You know, but yeah, anything can happen in that time. And, and, and honestly, in two days, anything can happen. Um, I think uh, also the big point, I think one of you guys might have mentioned it, is that he wants, you know, to be the main man where he goes. And at a club like Real Madrid with that history, he wants to be the top dog, allegedly. Um, and standing next to Messi, he might never be the top dog. Um, I mean, with Neymar there, he still was. Neymar, you know, at, at certain points in their Champions League runs in the last two seasons did become that guy. But, you know, most of the highlight reels, I mean, are, was the Mbappe show. And so he still was the main man, but with a, a guy, Messi, who's a, clearly a level up in terms of quality and talent, um, he may not get that. Even if he is playing better than him, uh, Messi is just a global phenomenon. Jer apparently you can't find a PSG jersey anywhere, not even on Alibaba. God damn it. So, um, yeah, there, I guess there's something in that as well that he wants to leave we shall see we shall see yeah man it is a developing story that might even still develop out of the transfer window i don't know but we'll see again thursday was wild thursday saw the uefa champions league draw and the uefa player awards <laughs> you mean the ugly awards <laughs> yes the ugly ass trophy awards coach of the year thomas tuchel I would have personally given it to Mancini because, again, work for the national team is a more drawn-out process. He literally brought Italy from the dirt back to life. Yeah, not to mention Italy are still 
unbeaten, I think, in competitive international matches. It didn't end during the Euros, and they were unbeaten, I think, 29 or 30 matches going into the Euros. And then they won almost every game. Definitely they could break the record this week coming up. Right. So there's definitely, I mean, that's something to be said as well. But for Thomas Tuchel to win this award after Chelsea were not doing so hot in the Premier League or in Europe, they they put, put the pieces together. They brought on Thomas Tuchel, a man with experience, a man who PSG did not respect for anything despite him being a good coach. And he won in the Champions League and told PSG to suck it. But I'm not mad at Tuchel for winning Coach of the Year. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the head. Sacked on Christmas, Champions League in May. Which one is better? Who? You, I mean, simple as that. Um, I mean, no one wants to get sacked up from anything on Christmas. Um, you guys, is a blessing in disguise? Absolutely. The biggest blessing in disguise. And I think Tuchel as well had a chip on his shoulder, if you ask me. Um, there were questions about him dealing with the board. We spoke about Chelsea's board being maybe even more ferocious than PSG's. Um, you know, someone who was, I guess, a, a coach with potential, obviously being at PSG, losing in the Champions League final, but getting there nonetheless. Um, and then doing also good things with BVB, but still a coach that had to tick some boxes, I guess, and sort of prove himself. And he did it, uh, I think, in the moment in the most competitive league in the world. And in four-ish months, no doubt, and I think the Chelsea team, uh, you could say, were piss poor, actually. Had so much potential, spent a ton of money, and just could not get it done. And he went ahead and I think in just 10 short games, was a completely different team, defensively dominant. And we saw that as they won the Champions League. And clearly UEFA seems to recognize uh, club footy more than international footy. Just kidding. Big, big up to both of them, but big up to Tuchel as well for getting that. Well-deserved. Top manager. Player of the year. Um, what did I say? Trophy count. Jorginho. Yeah, man. I mean, we spoke. I mean, I just said quickly, like, uh, UEFA respects the club game more, but uh, Jorginho said, "Let me not even give that a chance." Won everything on the club and international level, and walked away as well with the ugliest trophy award over N'Golo Kante and Kevin. He's made of glass, De Bruyne. Now it's interesting talking to people. You asked the question, who was Chelsea's best player last season? Jorginho was not even the remotely the first name that comes to mind, yet he's the best player in the continent. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a one plus two equals six. I don't That's know. That's not quick maths. Yeah, not quick maths at all. <laughs> That's, That's what I'm saying. Like, it's literally trophy count. Like, so basically what you're saying is he was de facto best player on Chelsea last season if he was the best player in Europe. UEFA gave Gigi Donnarumma the best player in the Euro, the goalkeeper, yet Jorginho was the best player on Italy. You're the best player in the, in the continent. You would have to be the best player on your team, and for people to say that he wasn't, yet he still wins it based solely on trophy count, you gotta say it's bullshit. Yeah, or or at least you would have had to have the best season on your team, you know. And there's no discounting what Kevin De Bruyne does, you know, for Man City. Not only is he the best player on the team, but he, aside from maybe Gundogan, who really stepped in when KDB got injured, and we all thought that City would have issues. Um, but if it were for, weren't it for that, I mean, it just shows the gravity of how good he is. Um, but they lost losing KDB in the final hurt them. Yeah, absolutely, and so. I mean, 
it just kind of shows the gravity of how important these players are. Um, and to, but I guess to Spencer's point, maybe his game isn't doesn't translate or show. But I mean, neither does you know Golo Conte is to a certain extent in terms of uh, numbers on the on the stat sheet and things of that nature. But um, the I'm just saying you can't say one without the other. Yeah, and the, yeah, exactly. The funny thing is that Jorginho does benefit from Conte being there, and I'm not sure how much Conte benefits from Jorginho being there. Not to say that he doesn't benefit at all, but neither here nor there. The trophy is ugly. Oof. Barcelona pretty much dominated the women's side of these awards. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Jenny Hermosa was the best forward. Sandra Paños was the best goalkeeper. Irene Paredes, she was at PSG last year, but she's at Barcelona now was the best defender. Alexia Putelas was the best midfielder and the best player, while Luis Cortes was the manager of the year. Pretty much a clean sweep for Barcelona. Yeah. Like yeah, the yeah. making track team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, nothing else to expect there. A team who went, who did the, uh, uh, you know, Invincibles uh, for how many matches? 27? Didn't, you know, I don't think they even drew 27-0 and 0 and swept the Champions League. Man, I mean, yeah, that that was pretty much solidified. I'm not sure you could have picked anybody else. And yes, like the men's side, the women's player of the year trophy is also ugly. So, oof, you wait for fix it, please, guys. <laughs> Come on. Also, on Thursday, we saw the Champions League draw. We sure did. We sure have did. A much more. We now we'll have a much more in-depth conversation about the Champions League right before it kicks off. But when you look at the draw here, a lot of interesting groups that were paired here. Now, real quick, group by group, Group A, Man City, PSG, Leipzig, and Bruges. People call this a group of death. No, this is a group of cash. It's Man City and PSG with the Middle Eastern money. It's Leipzig with the Red Bull money and Bruges. With no money. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, yeah. Still looking like a pretty scary group. This would have been one of those moments where if Cristiano Ronaldo was went to Man City, boy, would have that been entertaining, seeing Messi against Pep and Ronaldo. Oof. And that's what the conversation was on Thursday when we thought he was going to City. Yeah, before uh, Alex Ferguson changed that. <laughs> Literally. One dollar. Like, the fuck is you doing? Facts. Now, Group B, yeah, off the top, Atletico Madrid, La Liga champions. Liverpool, who are back at full force. Uh, FC Porto and AC Milan. Uh, Spencer, we got to hear from Spencer on this group of death. Spencer, is this the group of death? Well, how do you feel about that? I don't know if it's the group of death per se, but it's not an easy group. I mean, Atletico is, has been a challenging team for us to play. I mean, even though Milan and Porto weren't like the, the league winners, they're both can be tough to beat on their day. Because wasn't Milan uh, second place in Serie A last year? And I think Porto's maybe uh, second or third. I don't think they won. Um, yeah, Portuguese no. Uh, uh, no, Sporting won. The first time. Portugal, but I think they finished second. Yeah, they won for the first so time. This is a tough group. It could be, it could be one, of those, one of those groups where – you don't figure out who goes through to the last the last games, mm. so it could yeah. be tough. But I have I'm hopeful Liverpool will get out the group and go on and win this Champions League, or at least make it to the final. <laughs> New matches galore in this group. Um, obviously, you have the iconic 
um, rematch of 2005 and 2000, I think seven is when Milan beat Liverpool in the yep. final. And then you also have the rematch of Liverpool and Atletico from 2020, round of 16. So much so that Marcos Lorente, who named his dog Anfield after the ass whooping. Oof. Now that's petty. <laughs> yeah, this looks like a group of death on paper, but I mean, AC Milan did add some slight pieces, um, but you know they lost a huge asset in Donnarumma. Um, still you know, a competitive team in Syria, of course, obviously not at their historical best, nowhere near that. In fact, Liverpool at full force, Atletico Madrid still going to do what they do. Uh, one nil wins, you know, for, you know, period. But Porto, you know, could be the dark horse in that group, I think, because. Yeah, can't sleep no on, on them, cannot. Yeah, despite their, their form last season in, uh, you know, the Portuguese Premier League, um, they, in the Champions League, they just, you know, they do the damn thing. Um, they score wild goals. They lost to the eventual champions, which you can't be mad at. So, yeah, I think they'll be the dark horse, but a very interesting group, very entertaining group, if you will. Uh, we mentioned sporting, the Portuguese champions. They had Group C with Borussia Dortmund, Ajax, and come to Besiktas. On paper, is a group that, come on, you got Besiktas in the group and sporting. People are going to, you know, downplay them, but... I feel like this could be a group where everyone might be evenly matched. Dortmund might be on head above the rest. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure who could be, who would finish first or second in this one. Ajax looks like they can do some disrupting. Dortmund might top the group, especially with the way Holland's playing. But they still have them defensive issues that they need to fix that they haven't fixed from last season. Um, so they could be conceding goals left, right, and center. But Shiktas, hey, man, go in there with a prayer. Hope for the best. We shall see. We yeah, we'll see how they do. If I had to give an early two, it would probably be Dortmund and Ajax, but we'll see yeah, when I agree. we get there. I agree. And then uh, for the following group in Group D, uh, Champions League just giving us exactly what they gave us last season, minus one. Where is the originality there? Uh, <laughs> we, got, we got Group D with Inter Milan, Real Madrid, you guessed it, Shakhtar, Instead of Mush and Gladbach, they picked Reno 911 FC Sheriff. <laughs> I've been waiting to do that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, so that rounds up the group. Obviously, it's Sheriff's first Champions League campaign. I believe they are from Moldova. Uh, so that'll be an interesting test for them as they face the, the winningest team uh, in Champions League history, who uh, we'll see how they fare. I mean, they did very well in the Champions League last year. They this in Real Madrid, despite uh, questions raised of them and no Sergio Ramos. And they also lost to the eventual champions in Chelsea. Uh, Inter Milan, who have lost their talisman in Lukaku. Uh, Ashraf Hakimi is gone as well. We'll see how they fare uh, this season. We know last year, after they flunked out of their group, uh, it was the biggest blessing in disguise for them. And we will see how they fare this season on whether or not they can make it through or do they just pop out and just focus on Serie A again? We'll see. This group is literally, hey, man, can I copy your homework? Yeah, but just make it look different so it doesn't look like you copied it. <laughs> um, again, everything you said, valid points. Um, cannot sleep on either of the teams here. Maybe Sheriff Terraspol. <laughs> if you are from Transnistria, if you say they're from Moldova, you might be offending them. But I don't know. I don't know nothing about Moldova and Transnistria Oof. and all that. 
de jour, de facto territories up for debate. But that being said, um, little little repeat of last year, and um, these guys should be um, familiar with one another. But vamos a ver cómo sigue esto. And I'm saying that in Spanish because Barcelona is the next team up. They meet Bayern again. They're also paired with Benfica and Dinamo Kiev. Oof, I love seeing uh, those two historical powerhouses, Bayern and Barcelona, but this will be the first Champions League campaign that I can ever remember that Lionel Messi won't be playing for Barcelona. Woof, that is tough to think about. The team will be led by Memphis Depay, who's been balling, Anton Griezmann. I don't know what he's been doing. Is it safe to say Bayern Munich tops that group and keep it pushing? The same Bayern Munich that beat Barcelona 8-2 last year Oof. <laughs> oh my goodness we forgot about that i i won't even go as far as to say benfica will give barcelona a hard time damn okay all right all right Dynamo I, Kiev, I think they were in the same group last year but i'm not 100 sure but they might be the odd ones out but benfica watch out for benfica they've had a good start in the portuguese league yeah absolutely <clears throat> i mean Benfica, like porto always give teams trouble in the champions league don't sleep on them at all. The Portuguese uh, league is no ha, are no slouches. So, it, it as we learned when we found out that the Portuguese league is now top five. Bow, league on who? <laughs> so anyone with you know big five league graphics, it's Portugal, not France. Keep messy out of it. Oh no. <laughs> hey man, it is what it is. Is I don't know. Um, Group F. Villarreal, Manchester United, Atalanta, and the young boy. Now this is the Europa League group. <laughs> so, some are they, are they are they really in the Champions League? What's going on here? Three out of the four teams in Group F were in last year's Europa League competition, and there, I mean, not only were they in the competition, they went far in the competition with United and Villarreal. Uh, obviously, as we all remember, playing in that historical final where everybody scored a penalty. So. It's just interesting to see this here as they've all made it now into the Champions League fold. Throw on Atalanta as well. And I mean, this, I think you you mentioned uh, Group C being the most evenly matched group. I mean, based on how things went last season, this seems to be a very good group on paper. I don't know who could t- take it. Uh, obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo changes that. <laughs> that changes everything. Because when this draw happened, we were all under the impression he was going to City. So people were like, oh, we could cakewalk Villarreal as if they didn't just beat you three months ago. In the worst way, by the way. The worst way. Literally. Um, so what makes you think you could do it again? Now Ronaldo's there. They might have a case. And but Villarreal that's know about Ronaldo. Via, that's not to discount Villarreal, though. Exactly. And Villarreal, I mean, they still look very good. Unai Emery uh, doing his thug over there. Obviously, he's, he's a Europa League general, but we'll see how they fare or how they take care of themselves in Group F here in the Champions League. Can they make a run? I mean, absolutely. But, I mean, one thing's for sure. Cristiano Ronaldo knows about Villarreal, and I'm sure they know about him. I'm not sure how many goals he scored up against him in his career, but based on the number that he has, probably a lot. Group J. Ooh. Lille, Sevilla, Salzburg, and Wolfsburg. Okay, Group H. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably Lille and Sevilla, but I'm always gonna make a case for 
Wolfsburg, my guy, Vutu Veghorst. My fear was that they would be in the most challenging group, but this group don't look so bad. On on paper, I guess, and if you weren't necessarily looking, uh, last season, uh, this does look like a group that, eh, whatever. But Lille, last, we saw what they did last year in league. Uh, I mean, defending champs, come on, the big dogs. Uh, Sevilla, always a threat in Europe, obviously in the, the Europa League. Uh, Salzburg, however, after having some coaching changes, could be an interesting um, season for them. We'll see how they how they do. And obviously, y'all know if y'all listen to about the Ronnie Fridays, y'all heard Ronnie say many a time, Woot Weghorst. So uh, he's got some things to prove on this big stage. And I mean, what, I, he'll probably score some goals, to be fair. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they topped the group. Um, Did you mention Lil's coaching changes with Christoph Gattier no longer there? I did not, and I guess I mean that'll also be something to watch for and see whether that affects them positively and or negatively. So uh, out of those, out of the four teams, honestly, I'm not sure who I could pick. I could see all of them topping the group. To be fair, so this one will be the one that I have no idea who'll make it out of. I have no idea. Group H seems a bit more cut and dry. Chelsea, Juventus, Zenit, Saint Petersburg, and Malmo. Defending champs, Chelsea. I think take it. They 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 look better than ever. They had a Lukaku. Uh, Juventus lost Cristiano Ronaldo, and they seem to have lost themselves. Uh, Pavel Nedved, I don't know what he's on. Um, speaking of people who've lost it. But yeah, Chelsea, Juventus, I think you can keep it pushing. Good luck to Zenit and Malmo, however. Um, given how Zenit played last year in the Champions League, I we could even say Malmo finishes third and goes to the Europa League. Jeez. But that is something we will have to wait for in a couple of weeks. September 14th, the Champions League is back. Woo! Yeah, my voice don't go that high. Now for the B competition, the Europa League. They also have their draw. And to quickly go through these groups, um... You guys can do your Googles, but I'm looking at Group A. <laughs> Leon, Rangers, Sparta, and Brunby. B, Monaco, PSV, Real Sociedad, and a team called Sturm. C, Napoli, Leicester, Spartak, Moscow, and Legia, Warsaw. D, Olympiacos, Frankfurt, Fenerbahce, and Royal Antwerp. Are the groups, oh, and G, Leverkusen, Celtic, Real Betis, and Ferenc Varos are the groups I like. You got some top teams in those groups. Those groups look mighty appetizing on paper, but it's the Europa League, so you guys aren't going to care, but I do. Absolutely. <clears throat> and there's a lot of football to be watched. Um, and hey, I'm, I'm rocking West Ham, man. West Ham. Let's see how they do. London rivals. Uh, the had one of their best seasons last season and looked good. They're in Group H, uh, one that Ronnie didn't mention, so it might not be as enjoyable to watch for y'all. But rocking with West Ham, see how they fare. He's rocking with the rivals of Tottenham Hotspur because the third-rate competition, the Oof. Europa Conference League, the the tournament LV did not want to progress out of the qualifying stage. Well, the Spurs are in the group stage. Um, their group features Ren, Vitesse, and Mura, not Lucas. <laughs> if I'm looking on paper, I guess the heftiest group might be E, Slavia Praha, Feyenoord, 
Union Berlin and Maccabi Haifa. Jose Mourinho's men are in Group C. LV, um, talk to me about your your um, new favorite competition. Thanks, Harry Kane, for scoring a double against Passos de Ferreira, or however you say it. So, Passos de Ferreira. Yep, the team with the funny social media uh, team, um, social media managing team, uh, who uh, talked that mean shit in the first leg. And to be fair, I wish they talked it again in the second leg, but Harry Kane said, nah, I got y'all. Score two goals, put us in the competition, and I don't want to be in. So, uh, this man sounds so depressed after winning a game. Shit. What, a, what did Tyrese say? What more do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, should be interesting and uh, peace and love. Peace and love. We'll see how things go in the conference league um, when that kicks off soon. Before we get into, you know, the Premier League match of the weekend, news was circulating that. Premier League clubs would not be letting go of their players who are in COVID red list areas for the international break this month. This was followed by La Liga and Serie A taking similar approaches. But it is in England where the league itself said no. Now, if if these games that were upcoming were friendlies, I get it completely. Save your guys. These are World Cup qualifiers, which makes things a bit tricky. I get the sentiment and I get the reason why they're doing it. But I also understand why FIFA and specifically the Latin American countries like Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Africa with Egypt. Egypt is on England's red list. And why those federations would be mad like, yo. These are important games. I want my top men for my most important games. What do we think? Um, I think so. Well, first things first, I think the big thing here, in my opinion, is that um, it seems as if not only FIFA, but the, uh, all the leagues and the different federations, Conimbo maybe specifically, haven't handled the pandemic well at all. And I think, um, especially with a new World Cup format coming in 2022, it being in the winter, um, I think they just ha- haven't handled anything well at all at this point. Um, I think, um, especially, I mean, you can understand that everybody's acting in their own interests. Club players don't want clubs don't want their players to have to quarantine and come back and potentially catch COVID. Um, I wish it was all for humanitarian reasons, but clearly everybody's acting within their own self-interest. Um, I am a little bit, in terms of uh, Conan Bowl, playing the Copa America just to align it with the Euro because of that reason, postponing or rescheduling a bunch of World Cup qualifiers that could have been taken care of in the summertime. That, to me, does sound a little bit BS-ish. I do remember that at some point, Conan Bowl had their um, World Cup qualifying matches postponed. I believe it was during the March window because of COVID, and they didn't want to risk having their players make the trip. Now that we're getting closer to the World Cup, these matches have to be played at some point. Um, I agree with you that Colmebol didn't handle everything properly, but it's not Argentina's fault, nor Brazil's, nor Colombia's. So that's where things get kind of muddy. Exactly. It's getting, once you get into the politics of it all, we know how, and I'm not no politician by any means, uh, I'm just, just a lowly podcaster, guys, but... um how Brazil allegedly has been handling the COVID-19 situation with their president, 
Um, and, you know, obviously we remember earlier this summer, many star players and big players didn't necessarily even want Copa America to go on. They didn't want to play. I mean, they all did play, um, but they didn't want to. And so it, it seems that there isn't necessarily the best line of communication between players and federations there. But so many games that need to be played before the World Cup, the biggest competition in the world. Um, so little time to do it. It's not even just Conmebol who's affected by this. Mexico as well. Raul Jimenez called it by Mexico. If Raul Jimenez were to go play these qualifiers, he would have to come back and quarantine after the fact. Yeah. And, and I think another thing about it is as well that red-listed countries um, can be moved into non-red-listed countries depending on where you are after certain things happen. And so it's all a very chain, fluid situation. Things are changing as we're going on. But um, the stance that these um, that leagues leagues have been taking, club leagues have been taking, um, the preemptiveness of it all. Um, I'm not going to act like... Obviously, like I said at the beginning, the, the self-interest is very pre prevalent for both sides. We know that they're doing this, not necessarily for humanitarian reasons or for safety reasons, um, but for self-interested reasons. But I, th I do think that it makes a lot of sense to not have players travel to red-listed countries in that aspect. And maybe it does give a, a, a chance for you know, players who are on the come-up or you know, wouldn't necessarily get to start. But that all gets thrown out of the, out of the window when you understand and realize that these are qualifiers for the World Cup, the biggest tournament in the world, and a lot is on the line there. All doesn't look so good. I don't know. Like, if you were a player, what would you do? If I were a player, at the very least, I mean, at this point, I'm thinking that I would want, I would want to play for my country, but health would come into mind first. I think I'd have to take a step back there just to be safe. Even in regards to the quarantining, uh, going out and playing for your national team, then having to come home and miss another, however long it might be, two or so weeks, just to come back and play, you miss a lot of game time, you won't be able to get on the on the field. Um, but I guess that answer is a sticky one because it all depends on how your team is doing in qualifiers. If you're a team that's well on the way to qualifying, I wouldn't be necessarily pressed. But if I'm a team that my every game counts at this point, I'd be absolutely pressed. I think health is definitely important and comes first. So I'd have to comply. I mean, that's how I feel about it. I, I you see players saying, fuck it, I'm going to rep my country. I want my country in the World Cup. I could absolutely see that happening. And like I said, especially if their country is not necessarily in a, on the fast track to getting qualified or in a good position to get qualified. And if you're a big man, big player on your team, and you can make it be an influence um, on your team qualifying or not qualifying, just your, your being there. I'd feel a way about it. I'd be wanting to, you know, say fuck it and take the quarantine so I can play in the World Cup next year, the biggest competition on earth. Um, the biggest player in my, like the first player I think of who is on a redless country in the Premier League, who I feel like would do some shit like this is Emmy Martinez. Oh man, big balls, Emmy Martinez. Woo! Yeah, I mean, we've seen him get his first taste of glory at the Copa America. Obviously, we want to keep that going with his, with his, with Argentina at the World Cup, and and it's there's so many red listed countries. You have to assume just based on the numbers of it that there are going to be a lot of players that are going to be like, nah, I'm going, I'm going. Yeah, man, I, it's a sticky situation, and who's to say it won't continue into the October break? Because at the end of the day, this is for the World Cup. In a way, you kind of are fucking with the tournament by doing this. At the same time, you got to do what you think is right. I'm not sure. 
it's gonna be interesting to watch this international break. Regardless of everything goes down, uh, prayers up to everybody involved and uh, hope it works out. Because nobody wants to miss out on club footy, I'm sure. Nobody wants to miss out on their country playing. And of course, the World Cup. I hope none of this affects the World Cup um, or or even, you know, in respective countries and places in terms of the numbers, COVID numbers, specific players, and maybe potentially catching COVID. Um, all of that. Praise up. Facts. We are running out of time, but we still haven't talked about Arsenal getting walloped by Man City. Oof. My goodness. So let's now, get into that. Okay, so <laughs> I mean, just to run through it very quickly, obviously, when a team gets a red card, that changes things, especially when you're playing against Manchester City, the defending Premier League champions. However, um, some of the stats were absolutely horrifying, and I've seen some poor games that my Spurs have put up against Man City, but this was tough for Arsenal, uh, who finished, who starts with their worst ever beginning in the Premier League. No goals scored. Three losses, nine goals conceded. Bottom of the table. Oof, that's tough to watch, ain't it? Now, everything Man City did was absolutely perfect. They Every time they approached the net, they scored three goals in the first half, adding on two more in the second half. Uh, Farron Torres said, y'all couldn't get Harry Kane or Ronaldo, but you have me. Don't worry. Uh, scored a brace. Um, Rodri got himself a brace. <laughs> like... You don't see that happen often. Uh, Roger got himself a pair of goals, I believe. Um, Gabriel Jesus with some assists. We found Gundogan getting himself a header over Callum Chambers. It was all bad. Man City with 81% overall in the match. Arsenal with 18. I read somewhere that Rodri completed 102 or three passes, while uh, Arsenal completed 100 passes uh, in total. So um, I think that kind of says everything it could say. Arsenal concede five. And Mikel Arteta, how long do you got? I mean, maybe the beginning of the work week, he might get axed. This is getting terrible. It's getting ugly. You know, and, and even if they, I think um, when a team puts that much money, you know, it does set the expectation up. Although a lot of them were more like pieces, it's kind of necessary expenditure. Um, however, uh, in, as I've seen in my experience being a Spurs fan, one ugly loss can can really rock the boat. And uh this this was exactly that. There was this weird moment where the team was clapping, uh, went to the fans in the corner of the away stand and was clapping with them. And uh, there was even moments where Arsenal fans seemed to be cheering the more time City scored um, because they felt that it mean Arteta would be axed. They uh, were leaving before halftime. I mean, they, they had somewhere to be, uh, you know. So it's just when it when it gets to this point, I mean. Somebody, somebody's head's got a roll, and you know, I think his name is uh, Mikel Arteta. I, I wouldn't be surprised if come Monday morning, he might be gone out of here soon, beginning of the work week, but maybe not. What do Monday, I know? Monday morning, he might have right. up Monday. I, I asked the question, uh, I think, off the pod, uh, or speaking with somebody, and I asked, uh, does he make it to Christmas? Somebody said, does he make it to Labor Day, you mean? And I was like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> Again, let's run through the next matches. Norwich, Burnley. They have a cup game against Wimbledon. Spurs in the North London Derby at the Emirates. And then Brighton before the October international break. I would go around and say if they drop points against Norwich and Burnley, 
He might not see the North London Derby. We don't know. It, let's see how he does through October's international break. If they're still in the mud, he got to go. Aldi, he'll make it to Boxing Day if they keep on playing like this. We shall see. Yeah, bo Boxing Day, I think, at this point, might even seem like a stretch for Arteta. I don't know if he's lost the dressing room yet. Um, the fans seem to be every which way. You had some of those diehards that were there until the very end. As you mentioned, a lot of them were gone by halftime. Where could it go from here? Nowhere good, I think. Well, aside from City um, slapping the dog shit out of uh, Arsenal uh, <laughs> Saturday, there was an, an actual heavy hitters uh, match, one of the first ones of the season. Uh, you love to see it. Two potential champions, aside from Man City, the only other teams to win the Premier League in the last couple of years. We've got Chelsea. And we had Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool back at full force, as we mentioned in their first two matches. Absolutely doing the damn thing. Mo Salah scoring goals. Sadio Mane scoring goals. You know Diogo Hota scoring goals. And on the Chelsea side, def defending perfectly, letting teams think that they have a, sh a shot, but looking compact as ever. And they have Romelu Lukaku getting it done. Kai Havertz is doing the damn thing. And they came at each other's necks on Saturday. And... Uh, Safe to say that same thing happened with most of the big matches we talked about last season. It ended in a draw, a low-scoring one at that. But this match wasn't without some controversy or some uh, some uh, handballs, if you will. Uh, somebody looked like they were playing literal handball on a New York City street court. Um, <laughs> his name was Reese James, trying to keep the ball out of the net when Liverpool were advancing late in the first half after Chelsea took the lead. Um, <laughs> My man, Reese James, was not letting that ball go in there. Um, as he, as a Liverpool attack ended in the ball seemingly ending up in the back of the net, Reese James was there to not only hit it off his shoulder and bounce it off of his knee and then off of his arm, chest, hand, little sh another shoulder shimmy, touched almost every bone on his right arm before he eventually cleared it. Uh, the ref... Ref saw that uh, on a VAR call. I've never seen that red, straight red given so fast. Uh, he said, pause, pause the VAR. Man saw a screenshot. Saw the quick screenshot, said, nah, I'm good. Don't need to see nothing else. Guilty. Reese James gets the straight red. And that absolutely changed the game for Liverpool as they smelled some blood. Um, uh, of course, uh, a penalty was given as well. Mo Salah buried that. Um, seeing Edouard Mendy concede a rare goal. That man has been on fine form since he signed for Chelsea. Um, game was 1-1. And from there, it was a lot of Liverpool attacking, a lot of Chelsea doing what they do best in defending. A lot of Edward Mendy saving. Edouard Mendy being an absolute legend as he is. That was all she would write. The two teams walk away with one point. Excellent match. Uh, the one thing about this that really kills me is that Ronnie continues his hot streak. Uh, predicted a draw there for the TFM Cup and absolutely got it. So You want to talk about records? Nah, 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 nah. Two and 13. <laughs> um, oh, no! Um, oh. Havertz's goal was acrobatic. Kai uh, Havertz just produces. Like, yeah, yeah, that man's absolutely. laying on the line for each other as best he can. Thomas Tuchel getting the best out of him. Uh, we know he scored in the Champions League final, the lone goal in that game there. Um, and you know, since Tuchel came on, he's really got him going. Timo Werner, uh, the poor guy, you know, um, uh, really becoming, uh, uh you know, uh, 
a supporting cast member, if you will, but I think we all saw that coming. But Kai Havertz absolutely coming alive. They spent a lot of money on him, and he's looking to be. He's looking to get back to that form he was at uh, with Leverkusen, Leverkusen before uh, Chelsea went ahead and swooped in for him. So not mad at it at all. Uh, I think they look very good defensively, which we knew that they would. Edouard Mendy, I think, is continuing to show really why he's been getting a lot of praise and obviously the best goalkeeper award uh, that UEFA gave him. Um, he's excellent. Excellent goalkeeper, that guy. Very. Um, but to give Liverpool some praise, man, they look scary. They look like the team that won the, the Premier League. Um, when they come at you, they, I, I don't usually – you don't usually see Chelsea um, get uh, you know um, pushed back in that way. Uh, usually when Chelsea defend, it, it seems as if they're – allowing the team to bring on that pressure and they soak it up so well they look very calm and, com and composed um but the speed that mo Salah and sadio mane offer uh just kind of take care of everything and the oh and also big ups to harvey elliott the young 18 year old looking like he's on point jurgen klopp starting him again and in a big match against chelsea if you will and i mean honestly showed out he played very well he did spencer he's the one the way we're not spending in the transfer market, I hope so. <laughs> but now, nah, he looks like to be a great talent. Last year, I thought Curtis Jones played really well, and this year seems to be Harvey Elliott. He's, he's playing amazing. Now, Spencer, I mean, he's one not more shy. thing. He seems like he's he's ready for the spotlight. Now, Very one, confident. One quick thing, Spencer. Ronnie spoke about this last week, but what happened to Jurgen Klopp's glasses, man? I have no clue. He got surgery. <laughs> No, I didn't even man, know that. <laughs> my boy, I haven't seen no glasses in all season. I'm kind of confused. Nice. That's awesome. He's trying to get sexy. <laughs> hey, man, no glasses club is all we need. Liverpool have yet to lose. A win would have been nice on, on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good. It was a very good game, though. Very entertaining. Best game of the weekend, damn near. The first 15 minutes were exhausting. I got tired just watching. They were just going after it the first 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, they gave us everything you'd like to see from, you know, two titans of the game, uh, you know, two title contenders. Uh, to right now, at this point, don't know who, which of them will win the title or who will finish above who there. So, love to see it. Um, like uh, Spencer said, I, I mean, whether it was a win for Chelsea or Liverpool, um, I think I picked Chelsea. So, I would have liked to see a win either way, but just uh, save some points for the next fixture. And uh, makes things more interesting. Yeah, there's one team that hasn't lost in the Premier League yet. Three wins from three. Three goals scored, none conceded. I think they're top of the table. What is their name? Let me look it up. Here. Hold on. Whoa, it's not West Ham. It's Spurs. What? What? Stop the count in the league. Just kidding. I'm not getting excited, guys. Just kidding. We were top of the table after 12 games last season. And uh, that was about it. So, um, yeah. I'll enjoy it while I can. Well, you know, not 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 every day you see Spurs at one, Arsenal at twenty. Arsenal fans <laughs> will call that uh, some BS. You said it. Is it that time? Based on what we just talked about, it sounds like a whole lot of BS. I think it's BS of the week time, Roddy. BS of the week time. It is LV. Um, do go first. Okay, here we go. So for my BS of the week, I've got two. Uh, one of them comes very near and dear to my heart uh, over at Tottenham Hospital Football Club where we all saw the Harry Kane drama uh, fold out and Daniel Levy swiftly shut it down. Kane announced that he was staying. 
that's not what we're here to talk about. This is about BS, gentlemen, ladies, and boys and girls, Ronnie and Spencer. Um, there's been another player, and this is unbelievable. Tangi Ndombele, uh, Spurs' current record signing from Lyon. Excellent touch. Some of the best ball handles I've ever seen. Apparently, he's a fat Frank, uh, Benina McDonald's, and uh, can't cope with the uh, style of play that Nuno asks for in, in players being extremely fit. Um, it is the third or the second consecutive manager that he has yet to break into the squad for. Of course, the first one is Ryan, Ryan Mason, who I can't really speak to anything he does. Um, but Nuno Santos has yet to feature him in any team that he has let out, be it in the conference league, be it in the Premier League. So Tengi Ndombele allegedly wants to leave based on reports. Uh, he wants out before the transfer window ends. Uh, good luck, because uh, we'll see what Daniel Levy has to say about that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been defending Ndombele for you know years at this point, but he had some issues breaking back into Pochettino's team, the, the manager that wanted him. Mourinho, he got his best form out of, because historically, I believe that we know Mourinho tells the players that I'm not going to tell you how to be fit. You shouldn't do this already as a professional. We're focused on the mental game. So he wasn't necessarily given a regimen there. And Mourinho was just like, listen, you're good on the ball. You're going to play. But yeah, as I said, you have to feature. I'm not sure if he's eating McChickens or something like that with the Mac sauce. That's a secret menu item. <laughs> Real pros know. Hapacante sauce, all of that with the fries. Not the Saweetie meal. That's the LV meal uh, or the Tengen Dambalé meal. Fam, get in the gym. Even Dele Ali, who's allegedly a, a lazy trainer, has been in full fitness. So they say. BS of the week. Tangi and Dombele. Fam, what is going on? Get back in the team, my guy. Um, so that's the first one. Really near and dear to my heart. Um, now, my second one stays in the Premier League, however. There was a bit of a beef. A little bit of a beef here between some coaches. We spoke last week about uh, Jurgen Klopp likening the game to wrestling after he played uh, the WWF FC, a.k.a. Burnley. Sean Dykes' men, or Stone Cold Steve Austin, as he sometimes looks like, <laughs> had apparently uh, was putting his uh, Liverpool players in chokeholds and ch choke slams and pedigrees, stunners, or what have you, uh, frog splashes. Now, first things first, Jurgen Klopp actually name-dropped some players. He was, he was talking about uh, Ashley Barnes. He was talking about... Chris Wood. So he's he's going ahead and naming players like, straight up. Yeah, you know I'm talking about you. Now Sean Dykes uh, didn't like that at all. <laughs> he's like, fam, uh, you can say what you want to say here. He said, my main disappointment is not uh, actually a view of the game. I think every manager, every coach, every pundit, every fan has a view of the game. He said, my disappointment is he is he is club by the way is name checking players. There's absolutely no need to do that. He then goes on to say that we have professional players who have worked very, very hard in their careers to get to where they have got to. The implication of them being untoward in some of their challenges, I think, is wrong. I think it's inappropriate. It was pointed out uh, on Talk Sports, which uh, the good homie we had uh, on a couple weeks ago, Sebastian, uh, spoke about being a very controversial football talk show. Uh, pundit Simon Jordan called Sean Dyche and had some receipts. He said, fam. You talk about name checking, but you've been over here talking about Mo Salah flopping for me for many years. Um, so BS of the week and Sean Dyche, don't punch me. You look like you have big hands. Um, Sean Dyche. <laughs> talking about name checking players is unprofessional and don't do that about my players. But then you forgot that you did it, fam. 
that's a little oof. You should have kept them receipts, buddy, instead of buying them crisp that you like so much. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> Sean Dykes, hey, man, remember what you say. Don't delete them text messages, bro. That's all I've got, right? Oof. Duh. Okay. Um, I have a couple as well, and I'm just like you. Staying in the Premier League, I saw this game at the office, Brighton and Hove Albion and Everton Football Club. I feel like Everton's been on BS of the Week often lately, but no Anne Frank here. So if you saw the game, you saw the little spat that was had between Rekalison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin <laughs> about who was taking the penalty. That was ugly. Ugly. It was ugly. It was poorly handled. But I'm not really mad about that. Because you, you, you see penalty dust-ups all the time. Remember, Neymar Cavani. Yeah, I mean, that just reminded me. It looks like what I would be looking like uh, after one of y'all, maybe maybe Ronnie, tries to take the uh, TFM cup out of my hands. <laughs> I'm going to be kicking and screaming. <laughs> I know, when you start a season two for 13, you know, oh, yeah. nothing we can do about it. But I my Carlson, but okay, anyways, Charles. <laughs> But the, again, the spot is not where my BS of the week comes in. My BS of the week comes when the first thing I see, you know, while the player, you know, gathered around the penalty spot, of all people, Rogaine in the face as Andrews Townsend getting yeah. involved in it. I need his hair plug, by the way. Neither here nor there. Go ahead. Like, who are you? You got here yesterday. At, if you were, if you were there for, you know three, four seasons, or even as long as either one of those players, then you have some type of status to be like, yo, bro, just give this, just give him the penalty. But who are you? You just came back from Crystal fucking Palace. Who are you? I ain't like that. Like, don't involve yourself in things that don't have to pertain to you. So, yeah, Andrews Townsend, BS of the week. Um. Okay, well, before UEFA uh, makes another competition that Spurs can fail out into, Ronnie, do you want to go ahead and sign the boys off? So starting in 2024, UEFA is coming up with the Europa <laughs> Conference Division Tier League. Don't know what that means. But <laughs> we thank everybody for listening to episode 56 of the Football Misfits podcast. We do appreciate your listenership. Your follows on Instagram, your interactions, and all of that. For the good brother LV and Spencer, I go by the name of Ronnie. Stay strong. Be brave. Go listen to Donda if you want to. Or if you're LV, not. Adios, everybody. <laughs>